Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast, where we discuss movies decided by the roll of a die, where we roll a die to decide which genre we have to pick a movie from. And also, we do interviews. So I hope everybody goes back to our back catalog and listens to a lot of the different episodes that we've done before. I just want to let everybody know that Monster Bash is coming up October 14th for the 16th, 2022. There was a change in the Monster Bash lineup. Uh, Joe Flaherty, sadly, will not be able to make it due to health reasons, but he's been replaced by Wesley Yore and Kathy Coleman, who were there on June's Monster Bash and are coming back for October's Bash because they had so much fun. Everybody loved doing the raft ride like I did. You can go back to earlier episodes to listen to them if you want to pray a preview of what they're like but they're both wonderful people and i think they're adding something new and different where you get to ride the dinosaur so come on out there and enjoy it otherwise we're going into a hard day's night where tom and i are going to talk about his book that he's published and also we're going to go into the movie that he's directed and then we're going to talk about a hard day's night and a little bit about monster bash but before we do that, let's listen to the, I mean, the promo for Monster Bash. Classic monster movie fans from across the nation have their sights set on Monster Bash. This October 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2022, it's the gathering of fans and professionals from every state for the event of a lifetime. It's a celebration of horror and science fiction films with a special spotlight on the greatest horror comedies of all time, like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Hold on to your hats. Look at this guest of honor lineup. Ron Chaney, grandson of Lon Chaney. From the cult classic Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Dracula himself, Sandor Vorkov. SCTV's Count Floyd, Joe Flaherty. From Family Affair and the mystery in Dracula's castle, Johnny Whitaker. Zombie walker, Jeremy Ambler. From AMC's hit TV show, The Walking Dead. Monster Muppeteer, Emmy Award-winning Bill Diamond. TV horror host, Son of Ghoul, Drac, and Countess Carita, and more. Meet and chat with all the guests. Enjoy an almost non-stop film festival, life-size monsters, and shop over 100 vendor tables of the rarest monster movie collectibles, monster magazines, DVDs, Blu-rays, T-shirts, and everything classic monsters. Quick, get on board with monster movie fans from across the nation at Monster Bash, October 14th through the 16th, 2022, at the Marriott Pittsburgh North. Autumn's creepy classic festival of stars, vendors, and fans just like you. Get all the details right now at monsterbash.us. That's monsterbash.us. Or call 724-238-4317. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. And today we're going to be doing a movie decided by the roll of a die where the genre this time is musicals. Yes, everybody's favorite thing. And I'm joined by the person who's picking this movie, Tom Shibilla, who is also a writer, director, and a frequent volunteer at Monster Bash. How you doing today, Tom? Doing excellent. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I mean, I'm assuming it's the same up there with you because we're neighboring states, Pennsylvania and Maryland. Yeah. But these last few days in August, being like 80-degree highs... <laughs> 80 degrees at this point seems like a uh, cold streak. <laughs> so, 
and and seeing the weather report saying it's supposed to go for a few more days after this, it's 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 a godsend, I think, for all the <laughs> heated humidity we were suffering through up down in Aria, and I'm sure up where you're at. Yeah, th- this is a, a week long blessing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cold streak. I'm going to get like the winter coat out. That is true. It feels like, it feels weird when I saw people walking yesterday with long pants and the sweatshirts on, and I'm just looking at you. Know, it's it's August, but you know it's it was 70 degrees at that time, so it made somewhat sense. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, uh, tonight I'm going to see the uh, uh, the drive-in by me, the Mahoning drive-in. It's the retro drive-in. They're showing the Monkeys movie Head uh, and two Monkeys episodes. So I'm I'm going to sell the book there and. I'm already thinking ahead. Going, oh, maybe I, sh- I, I need to bring jeans. I, I need to bring a sweatshirt. Maybe a coat. You know, I'm, what is this? Yeah, if you, you might when you're launching, you might have to have a fro blanket just to keep your legs warm. You know, yeah, seriously, this is uh, I'm not used to it. I'm not complaining though. Like I said, this is this is in the middle of August to have this 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 little um, chill spree. Instead of a heat yeah. wave, it's a chill wave. Chill wave. <laughs> But I also want to say, you are an amazingly clean person. You are a clean man. I mean. <laughs> it's very clean. Very, very clean. clean. <laughs> Every time I've seen you, you, you are always a clean, clean individual. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. <laughs> and for those not getting the reference, watch A Hard Day's Night, and and you'll get the referencing. You'll get the reference, but yeah. He's very clean. He's very clean. <laughs> I don't even really get the joke, but, I guess, but it's great. <laughs> oh, well, I'll explain the joke when we get to the movie. Okay. You can take the joke two ways. The way I think it was written and then the way I think people like us in America probably took it. Okay. Excellent. But before we get to that, like I said, you are a writer and a director. Yes, absolutely. So you let's go. So, what do you want to talk about first? The book that you just written, or do you want to talk about the movie you did in two thousand and nine? Well, let's let's talk about the book first, I guess. Uh, so the book is uh, called Prime Time, nineteen sixty six sixty seven. The the full spectrum of television's first all color season. Uh, it's a mouthful. Uh, on the cover is uh, the beautiful Barbara Eaton, and uh, it's about uh, like as the title suggests, uh, the primetime 1966-67 television schedule, uh, which was the first year that every show was in color. So um, the previous season, uh, there were some black and white shows like I Dream of Jeannie. Uh, there, were, there were shows like Lost in Space, uh, Convoy uh, that were in black and white, uh, F-Troop that were still in black and white. Um, that jumped to color um, and shows were canceled. Well, I mentioned Convoy that was canceled. Uh, the Munsters, The Adams Family, uh, Dick Van Dyke all went off the air uh, that were previously black and white shows. So this is a book about that season. So we talk about every uh, scripted show that, that was on that season and um, a lot of times how it jumped to color or, or the color production of the show we talk about quite a bit in the book. Um, and, uh, it, you know, and it, it, it's out from uh, McFarland's uh, uh, books. So uh, it's, it's wherever books are sold, where fine books are sold, I should say. <laughs> so, uh, 
uh, you know, it, 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 is, it was a, uh, a work of love to that season. Uh, you know, there's, uh, so if you're a fan of uh, Batman, Star Trek, uh, The Monkeys, I Dream of Genie, Bewitched, uh, this is certainly the, the book for you. So. I'm going to say, uh, you're significantly younger than me, and I was not even alive for the 1966-67 series. I came, I came around in 68. And okay. I'm curious, because I know from Monster Bash, you have a love of different things from the classic times, you know, because Monster yeah, Bash focuses absolutely. on those classic movies, or sometimes not so classic, uh, from the 30s, <laughs> 20s. They're classic probably, to me. Exactly. They're classic to somebody. And so what led to this love of that television? Because you saw it like I did in reruns. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely saw it in reruns. Uh, so certainly growing up, uh, you know, I certainly got a, a, these things were in reruns. There was a healthy dose of them. So I, I, I certainly remember, you know, even at a really young age, watching shows like Petticoat Junction, Green Acres, Stilligan's Island, things like that. Uh, and then, you know, and not even that much older, uh, watching uh, Get Smart, Dragnet, Dick Van Dyke, uh, shows like that uh, on, uh, which was then Nick at Night. Uh, so uh, I, I certainly uh, grew a fascination with that. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I guess there is that combination of, you know, when you talk about those classic horror films, uh, you know, wh when you're into classic horror films, when you're into that you, you just kind of become enthralled in that genre, in that era. So, and I think that that's really what led to it. You know, it was just a, a fascination with uh, the the mid to late 1960s. So, um, and that's part of the reason why you know the, I chose the movie I did for for today. And uh, you know, again, it's just that fascination of of, of that entire era and. Again, when I started writing this, I didn't know what it was going to be. Uh, I, I I didn't quite know. I've never written a book before, uh, so so I didn't really know what went into that. Uh, and I started. I've written. I write magazine articles for Scream Magazine and Monster Bash Magazine. And I thought, well, maybe this could be a magazine article, or maybe it could be a. Uh, um, I don't. I didn't know. It was, it was some type of project. And I started coming across, I came across an interesting fact that that was the first season that everything was in color. And I realized that it really hadn't been documented. Uh, nobody had really written anything about it other than just kind of a, a quick blurb in Wikipedia or some type of footnote. And, you know, I, I just felt like it, it was something that needed a little bit more expansion and uh, definitely needed some, some research. So that's kind of how I did it. And, uh, uh, and again, and I pitched to the people at McFarland uh, at Monster Bash, actually. And they loved the idea. And, and three years later, here we are. A labor of love that grew from a possible magazine article all the way into full novel, you know, full book. Yeah. And one of the TV shows I think that you probably have in the book, I'm, I'm going to be purchasing it from you in this coming Monster Bash. I'm assuming you'll have it there for sale. Absolutely. In October. Yeah. How um, The Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West, yes, absolutely. Wild Wild West is there. Uh, one of the shows that did make the jump from black and white to color. So, yeah, the Wild Wild West, really cool show. James Bond on horseback. Uh, and a show that was uh, that did really well in, in the ratings as well. It was a very popular show. But um, it was one of these shows that uh, parents, television, uh, 
organizations start going after. Wild Wild West was their public enemy number one. And uh, the network kind of sacrificed that show and said, all right, how about we cancel Wild Wild West? Will that make you happy? And they said, yes. And they got off their back. So, well, I always find so that funny that. When, when you have the parent groups or whatever group say that and you bet, well, I'll, I will sacrifice this and then they'll find the next thing. It's like, well, always. you know, there's always the next evil um, TV yeah. show, music, movie, video game, comic book, fill in the blank. Yeah. I mean, it's been that way over, you know, probably since forever. I mean, probably in caveman days, they probably argued, Take, <laughs> scratch out that cave drawing. <laughs> probably. First, then they probably took a club to it. They probably went more direct. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't more of a debate. It was more of just on like funk. <laughs> That's how fire was invented, I think. <laughs> but the book has a lot of different TV shows in it. You said like from the 66, 67 series. Is all of them mm-hmm. or is it just, or is it, is, is it the vast majority of them? All of the, any show that was scripted. So I, I left out variety shows. I left out any uh, talk shows that, 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 that did air in prime time. Uh, I, I figured, <laughs> actually somebody asked me about this recently. And I said, well, if I talk about every you know, variety shows and every skit that was on it and every guest, we'd be here all day. So I, I, I needed to really uh, zero in on it. And so if it was a show that was scripted um, and a, uh, you know, weekly television show, uh, you know, it was uh, character driven. It was, so I, I, there was a number of uh, movie shows that season. Um, so, you know, shows that, you know, Tuesday night movie kind of shows. And uh, so that, that, be, that started becoming increasingly popular, you know, taking up big chunks of time in the time slot. Um, and uh, so I, I, I mentioned it here and there, you know, obviously if it went against the show, so if it was, uh, you know, F Troop aired alongside the CBS movie, you know, then obviously I talked about it. Well, the good part is that leaves work for down the road. So there could be, there yeah. could be a trilogy here. There could be the movies. <laughs> there could be the variety shows. I mean, who knows where this could go? This is true. This is very true. So, yeah, and, and certainly I do want to, uh, uh, whatever I am writing next, uh, I, I am going to stay in the era. So leaving it at that. <laughs> and now I'm going to put you on the spot. A okay. Little bit. So when you're, so if you were picking your, your top five, like if you were to like if these five shows were to be on from that season, okay, what would be your top five? Your personal Batman team? number one. Okay, Batman number one. You can stay Absolutely. on the show. Number- you can stay on the show. You got that with number one. <laughs> All right, uh, number two, the monkeys. Um, hmm, number three, I'll go. Lost in space. Lost in space. Um, Green Acres. Green Acres is going to be number four. And um, throw a bit of a curveball for number five. Uh, and I will say uh, The Invaders. Quinn Martin production. Uh, that show certainly does not get enough love, even though it only lasted one season. Uh, so, so I will go with that. Uh, so, cool show. There we go. There's my top five. 
cool, cool. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a nice top five. I'm surprised. Is this, wasn't Star Trek out during then? Star Trek was. Star Trek was. And you know what? <laughs> I, I didn't go with the obvious. <laughs> well, I mean, I knew your number one was either going to be Batman. My, my number one would either be Batman or Star Trek. I'd probably put him tied for one and go right to number right. three. Um, but for me, and I, I don't know all the shows that were in 66, 67. Okay. So... So if I if I hit one that's a little off, bear with me. But my, I said my tie for number one would be Batman and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Number three would be Wild Wild West because I loved okay. Robert Conrad in that. So you can't argue with that, right? At least I can't because it's my list. <laughs> I dream of Genie because I just grew up watching. You know, what can you say? It's Barbara Eden. You know, yeah. and it's 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 just wonderful. It's still great entertainment. You put it on, you know, you're going to have a half hour of good old fun. And um, was Gilligan's Island '66? Absolutely, Gilligan's, Gilligan's Island. Island. Because those are the ones I grew up watching all the time in reruns, and I would always put them on. And I think I own just about all of them on DVD or Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, Gilligan. Shows like, and actually, I, I was shows like Gilligan's Island, uh, and, and I, I picked Green Acres. That was that was my comedy on there. Are legitimately funny shows. Like they are. They, they, you can put them on. They are really funny. It, 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 it's, it's something that certainly stood the test of time quite a bit. They hold up. And I think some of the reasons a lot of these shows that we talked about that do hold up is they stayed away from being comedy that's topical like the comedies that it held mm-hmm. with with staying the stuff that would be multi-generational you know so that way right. they can have, that way it can be funny 40 years later 50 years later yeah and so on where if you go with topical comedy its shelf life is uh, five ten years maybe 15 tops and then after that yeah. it's 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 it comes a niche thing where you had to live that experience to get the jokes or have to or have to be explained to the joke which is never a good joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you know better than I do, you know, cause yeah, it's just, it's just, you got, you have to have that understanding, but uh, yeah. So gotta be there. And same thing with certain yeah. TV shows, even, even the adventure ones, the ones that have, that are timeless, I think were the ones that like wild, wild west were set in the past already, you know, cause mm-hmm. post civil war and uh, espionage with all the little gadgets and stuff like that. So, you don't have to worry about it losing its power over time because it was already set in the past. It was already set in the past. Yeah. It doesn't look dated because it's already dated. Exactly. And I think those are the things that hold up well. And so for people that want to seek out more about your books, it's anywhere where fine books are sold. Anywhere fine books are sold. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I most, uh, you know, it is available on, you know, online through McFarland on, uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, you know, wherever, like I said, where typically wherever books are sold. And I, and again, you can't catch me at, uh, Monster Bash this October, certainly selling it there. Yep. And for, uh, for listeners that want to look it up, I'll have it in the show notes, but again, it's prime time, 1966, 1967, the full spectrum of television's first all-color season. Did I get? Did I, did I, did I say it well enough for you there? Did I give it to? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and and, and the book also uh, uh, forward by uh, Frank Santo Padre, uh, who was uh, the former co-host of Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal podcast, uh, and uh, just an all-around great guy and, and fan of the era. So. 
Um, he, he has a, a really great love letter to the 1966 season. And Color TV and, and uh, a really great story about uh, his father plugging in a Color TV for the first time. And, and again, you can buy it that way, or if you go to Monster Bash this October, you can get it from Tom directly, and it can be a signed copy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. No, it, 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 it's, uh, I, I, I'm having fun uh, with the book right now and, uh, uh, you know, getting out there, talking to people about, uh, you know, probably the best um, season of, of, of television. So uh, that's that's – I'm having fun with it right now, and I, I, I love to talk to everybody about it. So. Great. And now, something I don't know if you talk about too often is the movie you directed, yeah. produced, wrote, acted in. Acted in a little, yeah. The family yeah, so that's business. A, the family business. Yeah, it came out in 2009. Um, it was a really cool film. Um, and uh, the, the, the book chronicles or the book, the movie uh, chronicles uh, a, a, a college student that uh, uh, once he graduates, uh, his parents uh, continuously uh, tell him that uh, they are uh, going to break him into the family business. And he, he doesn't quite know what his family does. He does know that they're in the uh, meat production business. Now, being a good horror movie fan uh, that I am, you know what uh, meat in meat business in, in horror films typically leads to cannibalism. So uh, uh, you know, so he he has to uh, struggle between uh, whether uh, he takes over his family business or or uh, you know. There's also following his dreams. There's a subplot of following his dreams uh, of of uh, uh, making horror films himself. Uh, and uh, a, a girl that he has recently met. So, so there's a love interest uh, and, and all into a, uh, a, a amazing conclusion. So it, it is available around online. I, I do have to re-upload re, uh, uh, re it. Yeah, I was talking to Tom about this prior. I was like, Tom, I couldn't find the movie. To, like, I was looking around for it. He goes, oh, it's right here. And then he's like, and Tom had trouble himself. So he's going to make sure it's out there. Yeah, so I'm make sure it's up. So by the time you're listening to this, if you put it in like a, a YouTube search, the family business 2009 with his name, you should be able to find it. And um, that'll be a good thing. You can watch it. And then you kept this movie in the family somewhat. Yes. Yes. My dad was uh, uh, one of the stars of the film. So it was really cool. And, and recently uh, uh, it was on uh, the midnight movie uh, in Cleveland. So uh, they aired it uh, recently. And, and actually some people at Monster Bash came up to me uh, uh, they said, "Oh, you know, hey, we saw your we saw your movie. We didn't even know it was you." Like, oh, wow, that's awesome! So, uh, so I was. Uh, uh, so it still has some life. It still has some legs. And now I understand why nobody takes a burger from you at Monster Bash that you make. <laughs> Not one. <laughs> couple people. A couple people. Well, there's always a couple of it, you know. Look. But but I but I hear your your um your your sauce must be great you know that you put on it so <laughs> absolutely all right so listeners we're gonna move into the movie that Tom picked and to start off before I ask him about why he picked the movie and things like that which you kind of explained a little bit already we're gonna listen to the trailer for it a hard day's night.
did you find America? Turn left to Greenland. No, actually, we're just good friends. Has success changed your life? Yes. Are you a mod or a rocker? Um, no, I'm a mocker. When I'm home, everything seems to be right. When I'm home, feeling you holding me tight, tight, yeah. It's been a hard day and night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day and night, I should be sleeping like a log. But when I Ah, the trailer for A Hard Day's Night, which is most of the music, but you got to hear a little bit of uh, the press conference that the, the lads were all forced into, which we'll get to in a little bit. But why did you pick this movie? Because you, you picked this rather quickly. <laughs> I did. I When, when I rolled musical, uh, and, and I think it actually was on my mind uh, at, at, at some point. And I said, oh, it's... Would a hard day's night count? And I think you said, if you wanted to. And I said, okay, let's go with a hard day's night. Uh, instead of uh, kind of a more traditional musical, I think it's kind of known as more of like a jukebox musical, I guess. Uh, I don't really know what the uh, official uh, terms are. But yeah, no, uh, what, actually one of the first kind of incarnations of my book, number one, was talking about uh, it'd be the three B's of 1966, Beatles, Bond, and Batman. And I kind of got away with that when I started kind of focusing on color and things like that. But I always thought that that would be a neat um, topic. And, uh, you know, and, and, and again, I, those are three things that I really do like about 1966 is the Beatles, Bond, and Batman. So, so that's why I chose A Hard Day's Night. And, 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 the one thing that I do love about Hard Day's Night uh, is, you know, it came out in 1964, uh, uh, right when the Beatles uh, came over uh, to America, and you know, Beatlemania was was started and and was was in an absolute frenzy at the time, and, and you could see it in the film uh, on several occasions, you know, where they're being chased or uh, when they're at co- in concert, you know, just screaming fans. Uh, Throughout the throughout the film, and you could see that pandemonium that uh, that certainly was behind Beatlemania. But um, as you know, again, I'm I'm looking at as I'm looking at things like color and black and white. Uh, you know, this is a black and white film in '64, and and there were still a lot of films being made in black and white in 1964. But you know, the tide was turning. Um, when you made a film in black and white, you didn't think it was going to go very far. It was a cheap film. You're going to put it out. Uh, if this was anybody else, if this wasn't the, the Beatles, this would be an exploitation film at this point. Uh, you know, this was just a, a film cranked out to say, okay, hey, we need to make money on these guys today because tomorrow <laughs> nobody's going to know who these guys are, uh, which, uh, you know, again, in, in retrospect, is, is crazy. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons why I picked the film. Um, just, I, I always really liked that lore uh, of it. Um, you know, I, I have a, uh, a really cool uh, ticket from A Hard Day's Night, from when my mother uh, saw A Hard Day's Night. She went to see it when she was 14. And again, same story. You know, my, my grandparents were telling her, 
Research was that when they had this movie, they were really focused on getting the album out that they wanted to put out yeah. with the movie because they went, we got to get it out before they fade. Before they fade, we got to hit it. And also before their record company beats us to it while we have this punch or whatever, this other record company. So it was this race not to get the movie out, but to get the soundtrack out to the movie so they could hit that punch. And of course, at the time, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you look back and we laugh at it now, but, I mean, you never knew. Yeah. But this movie, I think, helped the, the Beatles be actors by not letting them do too much dialogue and the screenplay that was written by um, Alan Owen, who wrote mm-hmm. the screenplay, paid attention to what they were saying prior, like talking with them and really understanding. So he kept the dialogue more natural for what the guys would say in past interviews and other experiences that they've done. And I think that way it made them just play themselves and made them feel more comfortable. And I think that's different than a lot of other movies where they have um, singers or groups in it, where they try to force them to say stuff that's not naturalistic to them. So Richard Leister directing, keeping them always moving, always in a flow, and allowed the, the group's natural chemistry to flow through. And because you, you always, I mean, think about it. A lot of times you're seeing them always in movement, and a lot of songs are playing in the background. Either they're like lip-syncing to the songs, or they're going through, like, which led to the monkeys down the road where they're doing antics while the songs are playing. Yeah. And I think, you know, about this movie, you would never have had – the monkeys. So this this movie. No, begets no, this is, 
this certainly was the template for for the monkeys. You know, when this came out, they said, you know, hey, like we we could do this. This uh, this is something that we could somewhat replicate. And you know, yeah, and you're right. And they're constantly moving. You know, and and it's a it's a fun movie. You can see that everybody's kind of having fun with it. Um, and it's not just again. It, 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 it's four guys who are early in their career and having fun playing music uh, and, and kind of this, like what you want to think about, you know, a music or a band being, I was never in a, in a band myself, but you know, for, for a number of years, I did work at like this uh, all ages punk rock club where I lived in Wilkes-Barre and uh, you know, and those were great times. Those are some of the best times of my life because it was, People hanging out, playing music, you know, talking, talk, you know, talking about movies, talking about music, uh, and and that's what a, what a hard day's night is, you know. There, and there was always some, there was always something going on. There was some antic, there was some drama, there was some something funny happening uh, that made it kind of the one of the best uh, uh, experiences that you would possibly have. And and that I think a hard day's night uh, certainly captures that. And I think also, they like again, like you said, they followed it the thirty six hours of their life, like a day and a half, and just what they were going through, and, and it was tailored in from their real life experiences into the script, like I said earlier. But they supported them with good character actors, and yeah, that were able to help out. So they had so this little subplot is going on with Paul's grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Who was played by? Who, That's not your grandfather. I've met your grandfather. Uh, my other grandfather. <laughs> yeah, and uh, which, which is like Wilfred Bramble, and he was the one where they keep saying he's a clean man. He's a he's, <laughs> he's clean. He's and that kind of stuff. So it's, I look at it as okay. He's a very clean man. You're probably wondering why, because you said you're wondering why. Yeah, I didn't really. Get, I didn't really get the joke. <laughs> He was in a British TV show around that time where he was always called the dirty old man. Oh, okay. So that's why they kept referring to him as the clean man. Like, you know, it was known because I noticed they said it, they said it a few times in the, uh, the train scene. And I'm thinking, Oh, this is going to be a running gag. And, yeah. and, and it got to be funny because even if you didn't know the joke, which I didn't know at the time until I looked at it later on and you didn't know, it still got to be a funny thing as they kept calling, him, Oh, he's such a clean man, you know, and clean man. You know, it, it, well, it's it, funny. Okay. But, it, but when you follow the film, he's always doing, um, he's getting the boys in trouble. He's causing problems. So he's a troublemaker. So even if you don't get the joke of knowing he played a dirty old man in this a British TV, you're getting this idea that he's calls only these hijinks, you know, causing <laughs> issues, um, gambling and all this other stuff, stealing, um, forgery. Forging their, uh, forging their signatures. So he's, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a basically a, a, a small time criminal. And, but Paul knows this, but Paul's like, we got to keep an eye on him. He causes trouble. I mean, it's, it's, it's a known fact. He escapes handcuffs. I mean, this guy is like Houdini. <laughs> And he shows up at all these spots, and it adds an extra little humor, and he plays it so well, you know. And, yeah. and Paul McCartney and him have great chemistry, you know. How did? Yeah, that was you would think, you would think that they were really, you know, good grandfather grandson. 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. I thought they were related. I thought it was really going well. I want to ask you, can you, can you give me five minutes? I got to pause it for five minutes. Yeah. Tammy just texted, messaged me. She, she oh, okay. Call right take now. it, take it, take it. I'll get a drink. But no, I mean, and, and again, as I talked about him being so clean and stuff like that, Ron Adams of Monster Bash has always told me, you know, that Tom Shabilla is the cleanest person <laughs> he ever had volunteer for. Him, <laughs> and is always so clean. And, and that's why he got the Forey Award at the most recent Monster Bash yeah. because he is the cleanest volunteer there. <laughs> that's the reason, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. This year I was, I was the uh, newest recipient of the Monster Bash Award, the nickname, the, uh, the Forey Award, and uh, uh, it was a, uh, a great honor. And I, I'm I have it in my living room and uh, in a very prominent place. And I, I, I think I need a better thing. I think I need like a thing like they have the bat phone under, you know? <laughs> that would be funny if it had the flip head thing and you could push your button and then the, and then the, 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 the bookcase slides oh. open <laughs> and you got the pole <laughs> and you go from the second floor to your garage. You're right, <laughs> right into the Shabilla mobile. <laughs> I've always wanted that. That would be cool. Well, I mean, you know, if you, your book's going to make so much money, I'm sure you could put it all in. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Those those labors of love, they always do. Just like podcasting. You make so much money in podcasting. Especially make so much money. It's just rolling in. Especially when you don't even try to make money. It's amazing. It's like, you know, I don't even, I don't advertise, don't do any of that stuff. So I, I, I never make a cent because I don't try to make any sense because I, I usually don't make, usually I'm full of nonsense. <laughs> But they just back the bridge truck up to the house. One of the scenes I love in the Hard Day's Night is when the the manager and Paul's grandfather leave the train car to go get coffee, and this older man comes in and he closes the the window, and the guy's like, "Why are you doing that?" Well, I want it closed, and there's and, but there's four of us, you know, which makes sense. Like you didn't have to pick this car; they're already in there. <laughs> And then he turns the radio off when they turn it on. He's like, and I fought in the war for you. And but what I love about it is when they go to leave him is the scenes, they, they, the music starts playing. So they're doing the, they're doing the song as they're doing their little skit. And you see him running alongside the train on the outside, like they're on the inside. Now they're on the outside of the train on the bike. And there's the train moving. It hey, was, Mr. Can we have a ball back? Yeah. And, and that certainly, again, in, in the humor of the film, you know, is very, well, very British, number one, but very, you know, kind of like Benny Hill or even, you know, I, you know, I, I, I kind of marked down here, like the Marx Brothers, you know, or, or Three Stooges even, a little bit Three Stooges, uh, not as physical. But, um, yeah, you certainly get that, that style of, of humor in it, which is something I like. So. Yeah, and another thing I liked about the movie is each – Beetle gets their own little storyline, so to speak. Like Paul's is matched with his grandfather. Mm -hmm. uh, you have George. Some reason his ad agency lady takes him and pits back, and he gets to put his thoughts about current trends and all these things. Yeah. And, and George always assume, always knows the quiet Beetle, and you see him in interviews, you see him in other stuff, and he's usually very reserved. And it was nice to see him do things where he had a smile on his face during different stuff, and he seemed so happy. It was. Uh, it was cool and, to see. 
and with to get a little off track here, but we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, you know, and, and if you ever, so by magical mystery tour, they film that they made in 1967. I think George has one line and it's thanks <laughs> because at that point he's, you know, just three years later is so far more reserved. So yes, you're right. Yeah. I think whatever the case was, maybe, maybe he was younger. Maybe he was just like, yeah, let's go for it. And, the fame trap and all the other stuff that's going on where everybody's mm-hmm. taking words and twisting them and that kind of stuff, which they would do to do all the groups. They look for, how can we twist this to make it work in our little gossip magazines and things like that, which still happens today. Yeah. But now they, they pop it up on these different um, YouTube or TikTok things where they'll just say, Oh, they said this. And, and they, they take, they misconstrue just so they can cause drama and get people to click. Well, that's been going on for decades and people, they wanted people to buy magazines or newspapers and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is not like it's something new. It's just the medium, how it's being done. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. As we said earlier, it just it's always happened. Uh, you know, everything kind of is a, <laughs> it's a vicious circle. But yeah, no, and then yeah, the, the John Lennon storyline is is always always with women. Yeah, uh, I, I like the woman that comes up to him and she goes, "Oh, it's you," and he goes, "No, no, it's not." <laughs> you know what they've said about me, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and and the Ringo storyline where he runs away. I think Ringo has the longest um, storyline, like yeah. well, the screen time in that storyline. It doesn't really say much, but he's walking around. And he meets a boy, and they're talking about different things, and it's just because again, the grandfather put these these seeds of doubt into Ringo, and and caused him to do that. So the grandfather, the grandfather is the the um, antagonist to a lot of the the problems that the the lads encounter. Makes fun of Ringo for having a big nose, being short, and uh, oh, and for reading because he shouldn't be reading; he should be out. Uh, become <laughs> which, which again, I think when he said that, I know, I know it must be British slang at that time because it, it, it went over my head. I mean, I was able to puzzle it out, but at the time, I'm yeah, like, parading. What, what does he mean by parading? It's, oh, I, now I got it. Okay, I, I got the idea. And, but it was, it was kind of, it was kind of unique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So they had they had that great little storyline that had that fun comedic bits. I, you feel sorry for the manager, who you know is a Norman Rosenton who plays Norm, and then of course you have John Junkin who plays Shake the Roadie. I like to call him because he's always carrying the equipment. Around. So those two are trying to keep the boys in a certain area so that way they can go and do the big show the next day. And they're like, you got to stay in your room. You got to do your homework. And of course they just take right off and go to different places and have their little hijinks. And you see these two guys like suffering, you know, like, Oh, where are they? How can we find them? And I, don't know, I thought it was kind of, you know, it added a nice little thing where it added more to the movie because it's a 90 minute movie. So you have to have something yeah. to flesh it out. And, and it really gives you an idea what Beatlemania was like at that time. Oh yeah, as, as I as I you know kind of briefly mentioned a little bit earlier, yeah, it, it, you you saw this this absolute pandemonium of men running down the street, being chased uh, uh, by by screaming girls. Uh, when Ringo uh, even goes out parading, uh, he he can't walk down the street; he has to find the skies. Um, 
you know, and, and, and even the live show, you know, was just complete uh, pandemonium. And, 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 and that's part of the reason why the band stopped playing live shows, stopped touring, was uh, it, it, it just got too much of a spectacle of people screaming. They couldn't hear themselves. And uh, even, you know, you heard horror stories of uh, one of their last shows uh, was at, at Shea Stadium, where at the time uh, people were not, well, there, was, there wasn't there was really a, a, the, the technology to uh, broadcast at a, at a stadium, to, to a PA system at a stadium. There just, it, just it was over the, the baseball PA stadium. Which, which isn't that great for a concert. So, uh, so yeah. So you certainly got you got you got a, it was it's a certainly uh, certainly a really great time capsule in that. Um, and again, more so than other movies that I mentioned, uh, like Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, or uh, even Rock and Roll High School. You know, Rock and Roll High School, I guess, kind of got some things right with it. But again, the Ramones were in it for a very short amount of time. They weren't the, they were the focus of the movie. They weren't the stars of the movie. But, you know, yeah, you certainly got, it, it's, it's certainly a, a, a really great time capsule. I love movies like that where you could, you know, kind of watch it and say, oh, okay, this, you know, we could see some things that were happening in this era. It's not even, you know, in terms of, we talked about, humor being timely and things like that. Uh, it's not even that, that the humor is, is, is timely and, and they make references to things that were going on at the time, but it, it, it's, it's in a way that we could look at it and, and kind of figure out what, what the world was like at the time. So I thought that I always think that that's really cool. Oh, I agree. And what I love also the grandfather actually has the line that's probably so applicable to the Beatles, what they were going through. And he goes, he's visiting Paul. He goes, I haven't got to see anything. I got to see a train. I got to see a room, another room, then another room. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm at these, I'm at these places, but I'm not doing anything, which the screenwriter, you know, took from the boys saying and different things where they were just saying how all it was, it was just them going from one place to another and they don't really get to experience or do anything like they used to in the past because wherever they went, they were being chased, mobbed, you know, that kind of stuff, which is the price of fame. You know, everybody, right. everybody wants to be famous, but they don't want the negative, they don't realize the negative drags of it is that you can't really go anywhere if you reach to that level of fame, like the Michael Jackson level of fame when he was doing right. Thriller and all those things. It was this, it was comparable to what the Beatles were going through, and you, you just can't go anywhere, and you lose touch. You do know the uh, uh, speaking of Michael Jackson, you do know the Michael Jackson Monster Bash story, don't you? No, no, please illuminate. <laughs> oh, okay. Now this may be true. I don't know. So Monster Bash two, nineteen ninety eight, my first Monster Bash. Forey uh, Ackerman uh, is at. Monster Bash, who's one of the guests of honor. It's Corey Ackerman and Ray Harryhausen are the two guests of honor at Monster Bash. Two awesome guests to get for Monster Bash. Again, it's my first Monster Bash uh, that I've ever went to. Uh, and uh, there was a guy dressed as Nosferatu, full Nosferatu uh, mask and uh, thing. Didn't talk to anybody, only wanted to talk to Corey Ackerman. That's it. You talk to Forey Ackerman. Now, 
the 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 gentleman dressed as Nosferatu had a guy with him. Is a, a bigger uh, African American gentleman, big big guy. Probably would not want to cross it. Years later, when Michael Jackson had passed away, the footage of Michael Jackson's you know uh, uh, funeral and, and and not funeral, but just the, the compound when when they were taking the body out, whatever. Who's Michael Jackson's bodyguard? The same African American gentleman who was at Monster Bash with Nosferatu. Now, Michael Jackson did not have any concerts that day. May have been in town. It may have been Michael Jackson. So, had to trust his Nosferatu to talk to Corey Ackerman at Monster Bash. It's it's a it's a good story. I don't know if it's true, but that's that's the story. I remember that there are pictures of, of you know both of them. So, so there you go. And if it's not true, let the legend remain, and then eventually the legend should remain. I, you know what? It's too good. A, it's too good a story and too good of a coincidence. Michael Jackson had to. He couldn't just go into any place. It's a good story. It is a good story, and the thing is, is you know, it, you had you had Forey there, you had Ray Harryhausen. I mean, you know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that would love to see one or two yep. or both of them, and. Uh, who and, and for him for him to even actually know, you know that 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 would be a story in itself. How did he find out this Monster Bash's second year? You know, oh, these guys are going to be there because he lives on the exact the, the far the far side of the, yeah. the, the United States, and you know to figure out, oh, let me go back to here. I mean, it, who knows? I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. the bodyguard. That's the that's the that's the the key there. Where you that's that's too much of a cool. Well, that that is true. That is true. But I mean, that's the, like I said, that is the price of fame, where people just can't go anywhere unless they're in the sky. Well, Paul, in, in the beginning of the Hard Day's Night, is in that disguise, sitting on the bench with his grandfather. As the other three are running <laughs> with a massive amount of people chasing them, he's got this go fake goatee on there, and he's with his grandfather, and they're sitting on the bench. And that's how we got introduced to the grandfather. I'm thinking, oh, he's sitting there, and they both look at each other. And I just thought it was a guy on the bench. And the next thing I know, they're in the train. They go to the train together, and they get they're in the train car together. And I'm like, okay, there, there's something with this old guy, and uh, which which played out through the whole film. Yeah, he's a he's a he's, a, he's an instigator, but, um, but he's yeah, I, I, he's very clean. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I think that uh, in, in terms of a Beatles made. You know, really starred in three movies, uh, you know, helped the next year, which was in color, which, you know, at that point they said, oh, okay, maybe these guys are going to be around a little bit longer. Um, Magical Mystery Tour, which was a TV movie, which wasn't weird, if you've ever seen it. It's a bizarre film, and they didn't really, they didn't do the voices or anything for Yellow Submarine. They, they appeared in a brief opener. But, uh, you know, I think that far and away, this is the, the best one and, and probably the best movie where an entire band starts. So that's, you know, again, that's, that's, that's why I picked it. And I, I, I had a lot of fun watching it um, again. And I, I don't think I've watched it in a while. And, uh, you know, probably my second pick, would have, like I said, what probably would have been Rock and Roll High School. Um, that probably would have been my, my next pick uh, with, with musical kind of going along the same same vibe, but I figured uh, in order to plug, in order to plug the book, we could talk about uh, you know, the Beatles. We could talk about Bond. We could talk about Batman. Uh, again, kind of the those three 
bees of 1966 and, you know, kind of the mid-60s. And ironically enough, you pick a black and white movie and your book is all about the first year of color (laughs) in television. The irony is there. Yeah, it's it's that whole era. And even though, like I said, it's in black and white because anything that was seemingly disposable at that point, you know, it was either we're making an art film in black and white, you know, we're making some kind of of film in black and white to make some type of statement, uh, or you know, or, or it's just a cheap movie we're trying to, you know, push out really fast. It's kind of interesting with, like, you know, just how technology and, and things like that move where, okay, so 1966, Hard Day's Night comes out, you know, obviously full theatrical release film, um, you know, backing of, at the time, the, the largest band in the world, and still a band that, that people talk about and listen to and things like that. But by 1966, you know, every, practically every movie, practically, you know, every television show in primetime is in color. By, and, and by 1967, when they're shooting Night of the Living Dead, that's really the only film in black and white. They shot it because they didn't have any money. You know, so so um, which, I, which I think you know incredibly helpful film. You know, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and then certainly uh, I think you know made it a, a, a lot scarier. Uh, I don't think it would have been as good in color. Um, it, I definitely would not have had the same effect on on me uh, in, in color. But uh, you know, just how fast that technology moved in like a, a literally a three year um, span where you had, you know, uh, again, a, a mainstream theatrically released widespread movies backed by major studios, uh, large stars. And, you know, just several years later, you know, it's every television show, every movie, to the point where only this small independent film uh, made in Pittsburgh is, is the only film really in black and white. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of incredible. And, and again, it's, it's either anything after that was, you know, made in black and white was for art's sake or, uh, you know, you really had uh, no money, <laughs> no money to make the film. Like, like I said, like, okay, let me death. And this movie is still in many um, institutes' top 100 movies of all time list. Yeah, and you know, and like I said, yeah, it's because it's 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 interesting, it's funny, it's legitimately funny. So uh, that's much like we talked about with TV shows that have really stood the test of time. They're legitimately funny. They're they're you know, it's not even that it's, it's topical. It's well, I think it's more. I think it's more than just being that, it, that it's humorous. I think it's the music that they put out that's in the movie held up so well. Yep. And it's still, yeah. it's still because as we know, musical tastes change every generation or, or sometimes even sooner than that. Uh, you know, things that, Much were, sooner than that. you know, some things that were like, you know, the, like seventies music as a general thing, don't hold up as well to a lot of people that want to listen to music nowadays. 80s yeah. music, same thing, you know, and, and there's 60s music that, but there's always these hits, these these groups that transcend those decades that are still 
with people today. Um, the Elvis movie just came out that that long ago, and Elvis is still, you know, huge where people know his songs and those kind of things. So it's just the same thing. Elvis, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, there's certain groups yeah. that are always going to be, you know, forever known, maybe not for everything that they've done, but for a lot of their songs. Yeah. And, you know, and again, and, and well, I mean, Elvis never played himself in a movie, but I don't think Elvis movies have held up. Like, I, I like some Elvis movies too, but they just haven't held up like Hard Day's Night. Well, again, I think it was different because this one, the script writer, you know, did such a great job of doing it. Yeah. And again, that's why, you know, Mr. Owen was nominated for an Oscar for screenplay, you know, because it was just so naturalistic for what the boys, the lads would say anyway. And I think that way it made it all seem like a documentary type thing going on. It had the documentary feel, maybe, maybe because it's also in black and white. You know, when you look at it nowadays, you think, oh, it's more like a documentary of that time. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And in a sense, it is. Um, even though it was scripted, it's, it does show what life was like for them. And one thing we didn't really talk about was the nonsensical questions they were getting at the press conference. Because we hear that in the trailer a little bit where, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, the one question where you hear George say, yes, it was like, you know, has fame changed you? And it's like, Yes. What, what kind of, you know, you, and you hear these still, <laughs> you hear these still of interviewers today, you know, it's uh, you're, Tom, your house burnt down. How do you feel? <laughs> oh, I feel great. Cause I've always wanted a new house with a pole that I could, <laughs> I could lift the four up, hit the button and go down the pole, right to the back, right to the Shibilla mobile. That's the first thing I'm doing when my house burns down. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, you're right. Yeah, it's certainly a, 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 a weird glimpse into fame that, that, that they were going through. So, yeah, certainly another reason why uh, you know the scriptwriter should be commended for Hard Day's Night. And you know as well as I do, because when we talk to different people that are at Monster Bash or other conventions, especially if you're the one doing the Q&A with them or, or I'm, when I'm interviewing mm-hmm. them, you know they've been asked a lot of these same questions hundreds if not thousands upon thousands of times and you're always trying to find a new way of doing it but you <laughs> it is so hard you know to try to find that 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 new wave or a new and you just try to make it feel as as relaxing as you can but you know you sadly there's certain things you got to ask certain questions about and yeah because you know, that's because people especially if you're doing a Q&A in front of a group you know, you have to ask a couple of things because so you know people there want those questions to be asked before you turn it over to the group to ask their questions. But you try to, you know, but then even then you try to find something new or different. And you guys have had so many different guests at Monster Bash over the years that have come again and again and again, like Beverly Washburn and things like that, where or Caroline Monroe, where they've been there multiple times and it makes it tougher. Try to find that new question to ask, yeah. Exactly. And Ron Adams did a really great job with Beverly's of coming up with some new things to bring up, but it, it, it does get tough. You know, I can imagine, you know, with that and same thing with the Beatles, they're getting asked these same questions over and over. And it's sometimes all in the same day. Cause they're going to press junket with this was like, and mm-hmm. you're switching reporters and they're asking the same thing. And, 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 and even in the film, when they break away from, they look relieved. So that must have been a, a, a 
they knew, okay, this is what I look like when I run out of this press junket. And I also thought it was funny during the whole press junket, it, for, for listeners that haven't seen the movie, it's, it's just, it's like a, a party room. It's like this huge amount of people there and they're getting served hors d'oeuvres. They're getting served um, alcoholic beverages. But the guy, the Beatles, every time they try to grab something to eat or drink, it's conveniently moved away from them or they get asked a question. So they get nothing. You know, everybody else is partaking of the refreshments. But the guys, because they're constantly getting barraged with questions until they finally all look at each other and give that little motion and two of them grab Ringo and they all just <laughs> Let's get out of escape, here. you know, and, and I think, I think they yell freedom or there might be another time when they yell freedom and they go down and they, and they make a run for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a different time. Yeah. When they're, when they run outside. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm glad you picked this movie, you know, the musical and things like that, a hard day's night. It was really good. I was, I was appreciative yeah. of it. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. It's, it's uh... Yeah, I, I was thinking, like I said, I, I, I was thinking Rock and Roll High School. Um, and I, I, in, in terms of traditional musicals, uh, I do really like uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, which I think also came out around that era. I think that may have been 66, 65, maybe. Um, so uh, it's, it's one of my favorite musicals. And obviously, again, you know, it's, I, 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 it's uh, one of my favorite eras to talk about and research. So. I, I had a blast doing this, so and I, you know, I took uh, meticulous notes of, of, of the film and uh, you know, kind of my, my thoughts on it, and, and uh, uh, obviously how it. Uh, um, and I can always fall back on my book with the research I did on that. Was there anything anything that we left out that you wanted to bring up about the movie? Uh, Hard day's night. Yes, a hard day's night. No, I think we kind of we touched on everything. You know, just just how um, you know, and 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 I think then the music is is like you said, it is uh, used very well in the film, and um, you know, and again, it is a, a really great time capsule of of that era and, and the music of the era too. So, and for listeners wondering, at the end of this episode, I'll be playing the full version of a hard day's night. So it'll be a nice way to relax and have a fun time and. Uh, right now it's streaming. If you have HBO Max, you can watch it right there. You're already paying for it, so it's it's currently there. <laughs> and but who knows how long it'll stay on HBO Max? A lot of these movies they switched from one service yeah. to another after uh, I don't know a year or so on one thing they they pop up. Or you can always do you could buy it. They have, I think they have a, a Criterion version, correct? There is a Criterion version of that. Yeah, that's that's what I watched it on. Uh, I have the Criterion DVD. And does it have a lot? I think it has a lot of good bonus features on it. Yeah, yeah, it has some cool, cool interviews, bonus features, things like that. So, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Awesome. So there you go. You can get the physical media. You can go digital. You can rent it, but definitely watch it. It, it you know, if, if you're a person who enjoys the '60s culture, you know, because I was born in the late '60s, but I didn't really grow up in the '60s. Tom obviously didn't because he's way younger than me. But you know, we could still be we could still be people that enjoy the stuff that came from those decades prior to us. And the '60s had a lot of fun things that came out of, that are interesting to watch or read about, and then go watch. That especially happened on primetime television. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, so check out the books. Uh, like I said, pri- uh, title Primetime, 1966-67, the the full spectrum of television's first all color season <laughs> and tom thank you for joining me to talk about this i'll be seeing you in just a couple weeks at monster yeah. this october i can't wait i can't wait
Hope everybody enjoyed our discussion about A Hard Day's Night. And again, you can get Tom's book at Monster Bash. So come there and look for him. You can get an autographed copy. If not, you can get it from the various online bookstores like we talked about. If you have any feedback, please email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. Feel free to share this episode. And also, thanks for listening. And now we're going to exit the episode with listening to the full version of A Hard Day's Night. See ya. It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a hard day's night I should be sleeping like a love But when I get home to you I find the things that you do Will make me feel alright You know I work all day To get your money to buy a thing And it's worth it just to hear you say You're gonna give me everything So why on earth should I moan? Cause when I get you alone You know I feel okay When I'm home Everything seems to be right When I'm home Feeling you holding me tight Tight, yeah It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a hard should be sleeping like a love. But when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel alright. So why are not you the more? Cause when I get you alone, you know I feel Make me feel alright. You know I feel alright.